He likes to retweet some guys uh, who are uh, got some ripped abs and hot takes. Al? Welcome to Foot Guns. It's Wasabi along with uh, Cletus and Hal. It's May 18th, 318 p.m. What's going on, guys? Today was a crazy day for me. Uh, I don't know about you, Hal, but uh, it was pretty nuts. I mean, the I've got a giant bet on the Australian dollar that's not doing all that well um and long uh, or short a uh, long and i think i guess i mean it's basically you know last time commodities were this high the australian dollar was above the u.s dollar so um it's kind of like why is it, it lagging so far behind the answer in part is seen as having most exposure to china how long can those people stay sort of indoors i don't know um but uh it's definitely a, a pretty big big position uh, for me it, you know, I'm not typically a position trader. Is that like the theme of the theme of today? Ripped abs and hot takes. My uh, my my uh, trading today was like one of those days that you talk about where I'm really happy with um how I how I dealt with uh, the bat. You know, this sell off that just like started happening this morning. I was like, found myself in a levered long position that just started going against me, and um, I'm almost back out. I, th- I think um. I'm just like a, a few percentages off of becoming even for the day. So you're mostly trading on GMX, right? You're trading Bitcoin on chain using this uh, perpetual protocol. Yeah, currently, once once uh, once I found it and got used to it, and um, yeah, I had some couple of weeks playing around with it. Now I am just like exclusively using it um, on Arbitrum Arb One. What do you like about it compared to like centralized or other uh, DeFi things that are out there? Uh, well, I can't get um, can't get any leverage on as an American citizen um, trading in America on any uh, you know FTX or Coinbase or Kraken. I think like some of them. I don't know if you, if you put enough money in, they'll give you some leverage or whatever. But the um, the the user experience is is really nice on GMX. The only thing that it's missing that uh, FTX has that's really nice is you can like click on charts on FTX and. Uh, place your orders just by like clicking on the chart which is kind of cool um but yeah the the user experience on gmx is like really really nice and you know the the, the downside of um you know having to have ethereum transactions goes you know gets reduced on arbitrum because the fees are um i don't know it's, i think it's like five bucks per transaction or something like that and that um you know that, that's that stay is pretty consistent compared to like Ethereum fees. Um, though the the GMX fees themselves are um, pretty high compared to like an FTX. Um, but yeah, you can get you can go short and long, um, and you get a like pick your leverage leverage between one and uh, thirty. And I mean the biggest thing is that you can short, um, which I, I don't know if there, there's really no other place. Like the only way I used to know how to short in DeFi was to you know, borrow on, on a lending protocol, which is pretty clunky. Um, but yeah, the, the GMX shorting is, is the way to go, especially, um, in, in this market. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like I've been digging into more how it works. They have, um, there's two things that you can do, right? You can either go long or short, uh, with leverage up to 30 X, and then you can also provide liquidity, which is how they, um, get money to trade against. Right. So, the at least on Arbitrum, the assets are what like ETH, Bitcoin, Uniswap, and uh, Link, Chainlink. And so, if you put in a basket of those, 
in some proportion that includes also stable coin, then that goes into the pool where you just earn trading fees of, uh, of people who are getting liquidated and their, their base fee that they're paying. So that's another interesting play. Like it's kind of a, um, more lower beta if you want exposure to crypto with like, I think it's at least like 50% stable coins. You can just like do this one trade and you get a stream of uh, trading fees from it. So that's pretty cool also. Yeah. I don't know. Someone that's used DeFi for a long time and, um, especially like you know trading or mainly mainly just like DeFi with a focus on trading um when everyone everyone last year was like oh DeFi 2.0 like in my mind the current experience on gmx is is DeFi 2.0 it's it's you know it's decentralized exchange that has the user experience of a centralized exchange um so yeah i mean i, I definitely felt like i was forfeiting a lot of usability and um just you know comf- comfortability when i was you know trading on like sushi swap and even one inch like one inch was really nice uh when you could use it as an american um but gmx is just yeah it just so um what's the word that that developers hate cozy yeah the experience is really cozy so we'll have to uh introduce a proposal to get them to add the australian dollar on there so boomer can uh can swim up and- yeah well i was just pointing out this 3 25 p.m on uh wednesday and the s&p's down for s&p futures es are down 4.17 percent we still have 30 minutes to go i mean this is the kind of thing that people don't seem to realize this but market crashes occur when markets are down not when they're overbought. and you keep putting stress on a market like this um, and you keep pushing this hard, at some point it's going to break. Are you talking to our boy, uh, Jay Powell? No, I just, I mean, I just, I, I don't think the Fed has any role to play in, in this. At least they shouldn't if they're operating sort of correctly. I mean, they, they should be focused on full employment and inflation and not on the price of uh, U.S. equities. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, I think people are, 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 after the, this most recent period of volatility, they're accustomed to getting sort of accustomed to these these down days. But every time we do this, we get closer and closer to a point where, you know, all the liquidity providers and market makers just withdraw. And there is a true, honest to God, you know, 10% down day. And it could be today. I mean, we've still got over 30 minutes to go in the trading session and the S&P, you know, is making fresh lows. I think I gave pretty good advice in the Discord, and if you're listening to this, the free edition or whatever, come join our Discord. There's really good actual ideas there. And and my thing was uh, on Monday, you're we're in no man's land, and you need to either see the S and P go above 4100 or to, to to get long or below 3900, which were 10 points away from in order to get short. And you're going to miss the first 5% either way, right? And you did. You missed either percent. But I think it it's pretty good advice in terms of one of the biggest things to avoid in trading is getting whipsawed. And I think that was decent advice. Yeah, it's still, I mean, it's still inside of that range too, right? So we, we still have like confirmation. Yeah. And, and I'm so impatient. It's really hard for me to wait on confirmation, you know? And I think that, if you've been, if you've traditionally been, um, you know, if you've been one of those people who's like, like I'm an investor, I'm not a trader, 
if you if you don't here's here's my advice in 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 DeFi, DGen, and TradFi. I don't really again see any difference. Um, I mean, I could fill up this entire podcast about how Australian dollar futures trade different to the cash market, and that they're an actual peg, and how you know Terra Luna falls into that regime. But I think that that if you've been resistant to um, being a trader that if you, if you, if you, so you break it down, if you don't have the excess capital, then don't, you know, risk anything more than you want to lose. Number two, if you don't have the time then don't, don't try to do it like while you're, you know, I don't know that your regular job or whatever, if you don't feel like you have the time to sort of stay tuned to markets on a daily basis, but this is the best time to give your, your, your gives take a little capital and see if you're a good trader or not because you're getting so much volatility and so many moves that uh shortening up your time frame is you know i think just sort of saying okay well i'm gonna go buy this and it's just gonna make money because i, I have an extraordinarily long time horizon you know it's the kind of thing you hear on bloomberg but I, i'm i'm not convinced it so let's get some. So I've been taking this advice a little bit and playing around, especially with like shorting on on GMX and stuff. And I'm still trying to kind of figure out what my style is. So like, how do you feel about like, okay, so I have a long term kind of bearish bias, like I think, okay, you know, ETH is going to go to like 1500 or something. What what is the best way to play that? Like, do I just kind of like put in a big chunk at like negative two leverage or a short with like two X leverage and just kind of like try to ride this for a month and then see what happens? Or is it like you really need to be doing this like intraday and kind of like taking it these short little stabs throughout the day? No, I don't think you have to be intraday, but I think you just need to have clearly defined uh, levels. If you're if you're a Ethereum bear and you think 1500 is in store, I still go back to this CME margin thing, which we've talked about a thousand times and Hal talked about uh, when y'all did the best podcast ever last week. And, um, you know, right now I'm clicking on uh, Ethereum to buy at the, the CME, and it is, uh, you know, initial margin of $64,000 to buy $98,000 worth of Ethereum. If you want to sell it, the initial margin that's required is $130,000 to short $98,000 worth of stuff. This is the only future that CME offers that require you put up more collateral to, to, to even trade it. And, and that's only from the short side. And these guys have the best math quant risk managers in the world period. And if you look at that, that tells you that the rate of change on Ethereum, and again, rate of change is not a guarantee that it's going to go up, but the rate of change on Ethereum when it is going up is much higher than when it is going down. And so that's why they make you put up the extra collateral. And so I think that uh, if you think Ethereum is going to go to 1500, I'm, not sure there's a trade there. We're almost there. What is that? Um, it's like 25%. Know, you know, another below where we are now. Yeah. And I mean, not, yeah. So that's not, that's not bad if you're, if you're aiming for sort of for 25%. But if you think that Ethereum is, you know, that's the, the, the low for Ethereum, 
I might just step aside and and um, uh, I mean, if you think Ethereum is headed to say four thousand dollars, I might just step aside and and wait for your fifteen hundred dollar level. Which which honestly, I don't I don't know if that's a great level. We can talk about that in a second. But but the way I trade it is, I might just step aside. Uh, and then wait to get long at 1500 just because the rate at which it rises is the CME is telling you that the rate it rises essentially double the rate it falls. So you could just get blown out of that trade is I guess what I'm trying to say. And it's why I just, I really want to be able to short the individual tokens. Like I've wanted to short ICP ever since it was at 400. Um, but the on-ramps are horrific and uh i just i think you should let the experts at cme tell you something a little bit about shorting now i've been an advocate of being short ethereum against other protocols that are better as a way of sort of relative value and performance but you can always just step aside and if you feel good about that entry point just wait for that entry point so maybe kind of gave contradictory advice which is sort of like get out of the way and buy and hold when you think the level's right. But um, if you do want to be a, a, a shorter of a Ethereum at 2x leverage, then, um, you know, it certainly looks ripe for that. But I kind of feel like if you hit 1500, you go below that. And that's a pretty severe, that's that's a repricing of crypto. That would mean Bitcoin is down to, I don't know, 20,000 or something, right? Yeah, I mean, unless the only, <clears throat> the only thing that would, you know, that has happened in the past is where, Bitcoin starts sucking the liquidity back out of all the altcoins and stuff, right? And because uh, that that was sort of the 2018, 19, you know, even early 2020, you know, everyone was like, oh, well, uh, Ethereum really, you know, was supposed to be at these prices compared to Bitcoin. And it wasn't like it was really not holding, you know, like uh, for, you know, like silver to gold ratio or whatever, right? The, the, the Ethereum Bitcoin ratio was like sort of all over the place in the last bear market. Um so yeah, I don't know. There is there is a possible way that Bitcoin just sits exactly where it is, and Ethereum goes. Yeah, I, I see it as a spec. So like, I would say Bitcoin moves the least, then Ethereum, then the other layer ones, and then all the altcoins. It's I think Hasher had a nice uh, graph of this in his uh, in in the Footguns Discord today on his whiteboard. But yeah, it's just like you know, imagine like S and P, Nasdaq. Bitcoin, ETH going to the right, going further out the risk curve, and then internet computer all the way out there on the right. Here, here's the reason to be cautious about your short trade, Wasabi, is that the NAS, you know, the coefficient or the correlation between Ethereum and the NASDAQ 100 is 0.82, which is high, I think, right now. I don't really know math, but, um, you know, and so uh, the NASDAQ's down 5% today. And Ethereum is only down on the futures, uh, 3.7%. So it's outperforming its co correlated NASDAQ, um, which I think is kind of a sign of caution. I mean, Bitcoin's outperforming them. Yeah, I guess, I guess in, for me, and I don't know, this is like pure speculative talk. It's just like, I'm just trying to think of like who the buyers are here because, um, you know, I, I do sort of believe in this on chain the coins haven't moved or whatever um and all you know all this like buy and hold mentality buy the dip mentality so i don't know i guess in my mind i'm just seeing that the market could be ripe for a situation where the people that you know the people that sold today 
didn't own any Bitcoin. They were borrowing the Bitcoin to sell it, right? So if that's if that's the case that we're in, then um, I don't know. Short, shorting like works, you know, if you were if you were on it this morning, right, and you're trading a, a smaller time frame. And I, I do think like you know, obviously like shorting last December, or January on uh, like against like you know if you're if you're one of those people that's like, hey, I want to hold Ethereum and Bitcoin in my wallet because I like the tokens, but I don't want to lose my money. Um, then yeah, you could have, you know, you could have taken a short against it. So it's more of a hedge and you're not just like, um, you know, directionally short the, these assets that just keep ripping upwards. (laughs) And I, I think if you, if you get down to 50, my personal belief is if you get down to 1500 on Ethereum, you're going to go down to a thousand. What's the difference at that point? That that's, that's gotta be well below where people's mental. Yeah. So on that logic, I mean, if you're, um, if you're long or you want to be long, um, then yeah, you could take a a small two x short. You know, uh, that's some small percentage of your total portfolio. And you know, if that worst case scenario happens, like don't plan to sell at fifteen hundred. Like plan to hold on to it as it you know rips through fifteen hundred. Yeah, we gotta we gotta are we gonna take a? Where, where do you guys think we go? I think I think we might rally into the close today. It's possible. It's, I think it's unlikely. I think the more the the you know the um, I mean I'm just in it for a scalp, right? So I I, I only yeah. care it goes up fifty points from where I bought it. But if we rally to into the close, it's still just like so what? I mean we're down so much anyway, and why not wait for that sort of what I was talking about? Wait for it to go below. Uh, you know, hard hardcore below thirty nine hundred and short, or forty one hundred and and sort of get get long. And even if you're from the long side, I mean, one of your trading things that I've incorporated, Hal, is uh, all time highs. Wait for all time highs as confirmation. And I've been doing that a lot in gasoline. And um, you know, you're gonna have to wait a long time for an all time high on the S and P too, in order for that to be confirmation for a long right. I mean, we're way off the all-time high, twenty percent. Yeah, so. and we took the uh, today's today's trading took back the last three days. So um, Friday, Monday, and Tuesday all just got taken back today. Yeah, I think you know right now we're sitting at one point seven three million e minis traded. So we'll probably reach close to. Uh, two by the end of the day which is a fairly decent size uh day for volume uh i heard someone on bloomberg earlier talking about how there's no volume i, I don't yeah that's I don't actually one that. of the arguments people are making for why the bitcoin bottom might have been at uh 26k is, is there's this huge volume spike which um you know you've really only historically seen um on these you know local bottoms even if it's not like the bottom of the year yeah, I noticed that on the Ethereum futures as well. I posted that to our Discord. Was that these volume spikes seem to be associated with local uh, lows in Ethereum? So there's another reason not to do your trade, Wasabi. I mean, I, I I'm like the most bearish Ethereum guy around. I don't know why I'm trying to talk you out of an Ethereum short, but I'm just giving you some sort of the counterpoint, I guess. I also made the mistake of listening to the Bankless podcast after the Terra Luna fiasco. And they, those guys were spiking the ball hard. I mean, I don't really follow what they do since they're Ethereum maxis, but um, 
they were like, yeah, we saw this coming. We told you all about it, all this other kind of stuff. Is any of that true? Did they really like, you know, call this out? They had a podcast that had like a Luna bull and a Luna bear on to kind of duke it out. So yeah, they definitely, definitely were talking about it, but they weren't the only ones by far. I mean, I don't know if you've heard any of the, the podcasts with this guy, uh, Kevin Joe from uh, Galois Capital. Like he was kind of the biggest, like uh kind of big short Michael Burry guy for this. And he was doing a victory lap. He did must have done like five or six podcasts, like all the big crypto podcasts. He was uh trading, trading the other side of it the whole time. And I mean, did did the thing happen that he was betting on? I mean, it went down obviously, but I mean, did the did the did the the catalyst happen? Did he specifically identify the catalyst? That's when people are amazing. Not when they get just the price right, but when they get the catalyst. No, I don't think he I mean, he definitely was speaking out about it in the weeks ahead of ahead of time, but um I think it's one of those things where you have to you know that there's a tinderbox that could go off at any moment, but you I think timing it would be impossible. It's like impossible to say if it's going to be another day or another year before it goes. Um, so I think if you were doing that, you would have to kind of identify the trades you want to make and then just wait, wait for it. And then when it starts happening, get in there. I don't think anybody knew that it was going to blow up overnight and $40 billion was going to get wiped out. I mean, I think, uh, I think everybody was skeptical of the, uh, you know, it's not like this was the first algorithmic stablecoin that's blown up, right? Like, um, it was just a matter of the fact that it got so big and got into the top ten that at that point you think, okay, well, you know, maybe this thing is is going to be the thing that you know um, bucks the trend or whatever. Um, but you know, it it wasn't, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like the people that were skeptical of this had been pointing out the death spiral mechanic that can happen. Right. And like, if you've looked at like the collapses of uh, iron finance and the other algo stable coins, when they go down, it's happens very fast. Like I was talking with this guy, Alex, who's a developer at Badger. And he was saying that he was in this other one when it collapsed and he was giving a talk on stage and he knew that, you know, this was a risk and he was ready to get out. But between starting his talk and ending his talk, it, it was gone. Right. And he couldn't, he couldn't get out because it just happened so fast. So yeah, I mean, once once it's this kind of like flashpoint, it uh, it can just be. And I guess I mean, Luna took maybe like two or three days to fully collapse, but definitely uh, definitely fast on the way down. Yeah, I saw a quote the the other day that was like, "Crypto crypto takes the elevator up and then cuts the cables on the way down." <laughs> <laughs> That's a play, of course, on the whole idea that markets take the uh, the stairs up and the elevator down, or escalator, or whatever. Let um, me. So we did a, a podcast on this the other day, but like, wanted to ask you guys, like, number one, do you think that this idea of an algorithmic, uncollateralized or collateralized by a volatile asset stablecoin is just dead, or are people going to keep trying to make these things? And number two. What does this mean for for regulation, Boomer? Does this uh, affect your kind of like chill out on the regulation thesis at all? Yeah, to me, it, it means that if any regulatory regime should make it much easier to get, you know, they should insist on the ability to get your uh, cryptocurrencies converted into to dollars, right? As opposed to, you know, 
stable coins. Um, so in that sense, I mean, that, that's what, that's what we talked about on the, the private pod was that, you know, I think the on ramps and the on, on and off ramps and crypto are so bad that you wouldn't have stable coin risk if people could easily, you know, withdraw their money into us dollars. And so if the regulatory, if I was at a regulatory desk or whatever, I would try to propose something that allows people to get, um, their doge going into us dollars. More yeah. Easily. I mean, for instance, if, um, if they had just something like, you know, rubber stamp that said, okay, Hey, we UST, like we understand the risk, but we're rubber stamping it. So now it's actually, it is backed because if something happens to it, we'll allow you to redeem it one-to-one for dollars, you know? So in this scenario, when the peg broke or whatever, they could have froze the network like they did. And then just said, okay, something's broken. Uh, the network's frozen until we fix it, but uh, you know you can go to your bank and they'll give you one to one back for your UST or whatever. Like you still lost money if you are invested in Luna, but the forty billion dollars that blew up like on the stablecoin itself could be backed, like you know, by insurance. I think you do private insurance, but if you want to talk about like taxpayer funded backstop, like the FDIC, which insures your local deposits at your you know your local checking account, I don't think that could pass. I don't think there would, I think people would be like, what? Um, and they've talked about, you know, digital US dollars and all that kind of stuff, but I don't want that. I mean, China's use or is trying to develop their digital dollars so they can track yet more of their citizens' activities. And there's something about just having, you know, dollar dollars um, that if, you know, if, if everything sort of hits the wall, uh, you can have a piece of paper that, you know, the $100 bill. Um, I, so I just don't think any, you know, any senator or congressman could get something passed where the U.S. government would act as a lender of last resort or backstop to a private cryptocurrency. I think that person would get voted. Even if all. it was uh, systemically, like, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about how many large funds and institutions were exposed to this thing, but like, imagine a, a scenario where Luna and UST was like three to five times bigger and there was like pension funds that were in this. What does that call look like? Yeah, no, obviously the pension, the retirement systems do take, um, you know, there is a, uh, difference there, but we already have that, by the way, we already have that sort of regulatory regime in place with, um, futures. So, uh, right now, the Australian dollar is trading at 0.6961, and the futures are trading at 0.69640, so they're different. And that peg, or that difference in the futures in the cash, is 0.2% difference. And that's based upon private markets stabilizing um, the futures versus the actual sort of, you know, the, the actual... Uh, cash on, on the Australian dollar. And so that's already happening. That's regulated by the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. So that's already happening in, in sort of currency. That I guess my question is, we talked about this on the private podcast, that Everest funds uh, blew up $9 billion in like five minutes because they were uh, leaning on this, uh, the the Swiss franc and the, what was I wrong on the NASDAQ? Um, that the Swiss franc and the the uh, peg to the euro, and they removed the 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 peg or whatever, and it was one of those things where 
they just levered the hell out of it because there was no way the Swiss government was ever going to withdraw its peg to the euro. And they did just randomly one February and then boom, you know, look, you know, billions of dollars lost in five minutes. So, um, you know, that, that already, ha- that's already happened. That already happens in, in finance. That's, some, that's nothing new. And it happens with currencies. And the more I sort of spend time around cryptocurrency assets and, and, and watch their price action and everything, the more they do resemble foreign currencies. Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin is just like the, uh, the foreign currency that anybody that wants to try and give it a, give it a try can, can do it. I, I heard an interesting argument about how, um, you know, some of these states like Texas now that are, um, you know, starting to have a, you know, they're, they're starting to get all these Bitcoin miners and, you know, essentially like have an economy around Bitcoin because they're going to be um, devoting much electricity towards mining it. Um, I'm sure it's going to, there's, there's going to be some legislation that starts showing up, but um, you know, if you think about it, like Texas is now producing its own currency by, by mining Bitcoin. Um, so it, it, it is in the sense like a foreign currency. Yeah. And you know, this crazy Texas people um, have always wanted to be their own nation. So good luck with, you know, good luck with Dan held as your new overlord. There's a lot of uh, Bitcoiners down in Texas. Yep. No state income tax. Uh, forget, you know, the whole insanity of their politics. Um, but there's no income tax. That's what you know. Elon Musk is there for, and um, uh, you know they have no social services whatsoever because they have no income tax. But um, yeah, move to Texas. Go mine your bitcoins. Yeah, we're at, we got nine minutes to the close. It's so it's so. Um, I mean, Bitcoin definitely has started just trading like nine to five. I mean, the the price action when Wall Street is closed on Bitcoin, just like, you know, all the volume goes away. The price just sort of, I mean, for the most part, it just drifts downward. It's like, it's the new trade is just short Bitcoin on Friday afternoon, right? I mean, it's not a new trade. It's been around for like 15 weeks in a row or something like that. Yeah, it's definitely become a mainstream asset in that sense. Like, you know, the weekend trading used to be a lot more significant, I feel like, on the, to the price and that's sort of come off. You can almost just ignore it now when uh, it's not nine to five in uh do either of you believe in trading these kind of like news events like fed press conferences or uh jay powell's giving an interview i see people tweeting kind of like live tweeting those comments as a uh, market moving do you guys do that at all no yeah no i mean the only thing for me is just like some you know like that last fomc meeting it was just like okay there's probably going to be some volatility today but um I don't know. Yeah, we were we were talking about that before we started this. That I was trading all day yesterday, making money, and uh, I had no idea that there was some some meeting that I was supposed to be uh, listening to. <laughs> what about the eclipse? But yeah, definitely, definitely a fan of trading the eclipse. Boomer, what are your favorite astrological uh, trades? Uh, well, um, my sign is uh, Bridge Isis before Road. Bridge Isis. <laughs> Road, huh? Um, you know, people are like, you know, have astrological signs and see that as being sort of critical to romantic fits. And my sign is Bridge Isis before Road. Did you just pledge allegiance to a terrorist organization live on the podcast? That's what I heard too. Probably. <laughs> Bridge Isis. Oh, Isis. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, serious people know them as Daesh. They don't call them Isis.
You think they're uh, mining Bitcoin? Probably. Dan Held is definitely a member. Whatever happened to ISIS? I feel like they're out of the news lately. They're definitely, uh, yeah, Burkina Faso, uh, Mali, um, in West Africa is sort of the new, the new um, uh, hotspot for uh, radical Islamic terrorism. And so they've been less active, I guess, in areas that we would consider traditional, you know, Iraq, uh, Syria, that kind of, that kind of thing. One of the things we've been experimenting with at our new little trading shop is that, uh, is trying to be wrong, trying to lose money. And, um, because everybody's always trying, trying to get it right. Well, go out and try to pick a trade that's going to lose money. You guarantee me that it's going to lose money and it's probably going to make you money and vice versa. The George Costanza method. I've, I've, I watched one episode of Seinfeld and never turned it back on. Oh, how I want to, I was going to ask you about this. Okay. There's been some discussion in the Badger discord on this convex, um, convex. They have a big unlocking June 30th, I believe where like a shitload of convex is going to unlock. They are, basically topping out in how much curve they have locked. They uh, obviously just like general bear market, but like, is this a tradable event coming up on the 30th? Oh man, I don't know. It's it's so hard to tell in, in crypto because Convex is um, pretty popular, but it's really not that popular. So I think in that sense, like you can trade the news on, on these things, but I don't know. I think like it's it's sold off a lot. Um, in my mind, what happened is everyone everyone remembered that they they owned a bunch of convex, like when all this all these things were selling off, and then they ran ran out and sold theirs. Because especially with all the stuff that ha- was happening with Luna, that you know there was a there were some pools of UST on convex. So um, I don't know. I I think it's kind of kind of be a non-event. Um, and and if it if it is if it is an event, then I think the selling will happen like now and not then. Um, so like the selling that has already happened could be part of that. But yeah, I mean that being said, um, it's not looking super hot. I, I don't I don't see I don't see Convex just like ripping upwards. I mean, yeah. If anything, I would say I'm neutral slash bearish on it right now. But as far as like the unlocking or whatever, I. Um, I mean, I, I kind of think like that'll be, that'll be priced in, in the sense that, um, I don't think there's just going to be a bunch of people that are just going to like unlock and dump all their convex. Um, there might be some group of people that do it, but I think there'll be another group of people that use that as a way to buy, buy in at cheaper prices. But yeah, I've heard, I've heard the bear case. I'm, I'm just don't, I don't know. I don't really... I don't necessarily like believe in fundamentals like as far as um like if I didn't have a chart right if I couldn't see the price history of convex for the last year and a half then I might I, you know I might like really focus on those fundamentals as trying to like price it in but um yeah I think if you're if you're you know if these function like share lockups you know look at the the great um you know coinbase was a direct listing with no lockups and look what happened. I mean, it's never, it's never seen its IPO price again. 
Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about the the DeFi aspects of this to make any coherent. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's good, which is basically just like if you know, Convex, Convex does could survive, and just you know, just you're never going to see uh, twenty bucks a token ever again. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm. It's certainly about to test the um, the mechanics of the system, whether or not anybody actually wants to participate, or if they were just here you know, for the easy money. And, and now everyone's going to move on to the next thing. Oil. To, I mean, given this supply report that we had today, if the S&P wasn't getting uh, pulled down and we didn't have the consumer news, I mean, I think oil would have been up. I don't know. We'd be at 120. You got to keep in mind gasoline and, you know, an oil price is $168. So we're kind of already there, at least in terms of, um, you know, if you price if you price gasoline or yeah, gasoline in old terms, it's one hundred sixty eight dollars. Um, I don't see any gaps in the futures. Uh, there may be on the ETF, but if you look at the dailies, there's no gaps. The coal in the wall gaps. I was looking at CL. Yeah, CL is the one. That's correct. There should be there should be at least no gaps. Um, I can't. If there are, I can't find them. Mm, yeah, I guess the um, the wick the wicks are touching, but the the bodies aren't. Yeah, I mean, it just had a. You can look back at it now and say today was a little head and shoulders toppy, but I mean, those are always great in the rearview mirror. I it just I think oil is headed up and and just got knocked down today because of the uh, um, you know it. Oil and and the S and P are are close cousins, and you can't have a down four percent day on the S and P, and and oil not be affected. The price of oil not be affected. It just doesn't doesn't happen. Doesn't work like that. Unless it's at the very beginning of like you know, I don't know, uh, the beginning of a invasion of Ukraine or whatever. When you saw for the first time, at least in my trading life. Um, you know, oil became completely decoupled from the S and P, but it did so for a very you know, sort of specific reason, right? So they they usually sort of trade in line with each other, and oil is just an amplified e e many really, and um, yeah, this Australian dollar position is getting painful. All right, well, um, this was pretty sloppy, I would say. Yeah, this is the worst podcast ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to I have to leave uh in a few minutes. Okay.